Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. Hey, if you have your Bibles, would you open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This morning, we're going to be finishing the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're just joining with us for the first time, The book of 1 Corinthians is really a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, which was in ancient Greece. And we started this book, and for those of you that were here, we started this book back in April of last year. And what we've seen is that Corinth, this church in Corinth, was a bunch of people that got saved by the grace of God. They started off strong, and then things got messy. Sin crept in. Sin led to division in the church, hostility, all kinds of brokenness and pain. And yet Paul calls them in this book to the unity that they have in Jesus Christ. And nine months later, here we are wrapping up our study. And we just have two points this morning. They're not really points. They're kind of like sections of this chapter. Um, But here we're going to be looking at in chapter 16, the final words of instruction that Paul has for this church. These are some practical directions. And the first thing that he points out, number one, is the collection for the saints. Look at verse one. He says, now concerning. Let's stop right there. (laughs) Now concerning. This phrase, these two words here, has been a common phrase that we've seen uh, as Paul has used throughout this letter. This is how he begins to address either a particular issue that was going on in the church or maybe he's answering a question that they had previously written to him about. If you remember chapter 7, he said, now concerning, that same phrase, sexual immorality, marriage. We talked about singleness and celibacy. In chapter eight, he says, now concerning, and he was talking about things uh, being offered to idols, meat that was offered to idols, and should we participate with this? And then in chapter 12, you remember again, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. He's like, I don't want you to be unaware. And so he's kind of just checking. I kind of see, well, he, he calls himself early in this book a spiritual father to the church in Corinth. And so I kind of just see him as like, I'm just checking the boxes of things that I want to talk to my spiritual children about. Questions I want to answer that they have. And this morning we see here again in chapter 16, Paul using this same phrase, now concerning, and he's talking about giving to support ministry. So look at verse 1. Now concerning, he says, the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. 
Now, if you're familiar in your New Testament reading the, about the life of Paul, his missionary journeys, you realize that he has a beautiful and a wonderful heart to serve people, to come alongside them, to help them, and not just spiritually, but practically. And when it comes to helping financially, as we're going to see this morning, or giving financially, that is something that we all as believers are instructed to participate in. Giving is something that we as believers do as a part of our worship unto the Lord. And that helps, this giving helps take care of practical aspects of ministry. And for the Corinthians, Paul is going to say, Corinth, it is now your time. This is your new opportunity. You're going to have this new privilege to be able to help those in need in Jerusalem. To use the resources, Corinth, that God has blessed you with. Now you're going to use those to be a blessing to those in need. Now, when you think about, maybe in your life, how the Lord has provided for you over the years, or as, as I reflect on how the Lord has provided for me over the years, I am just blown away when I think of the stories and just the situations that I was in where God came through and he provided. I remember when Mary and I, uh, my wife, were, we started out probably eight, nine, 10, I know, 10, 11, 12 years ago, this adoption journey that we were gonna be on. And we were gonna do this international adoption and we were looking at a price tag of upwards of $30,000. And just so you know, if you need more clarity, I didn't have $30,000 just laying in the bank, right? We're living in a very small duplex here in Milwaukee, both of us working to make ends meet. And we stepped out in faith though. We really felt like God was leading us. God was doing something. We stepped out in faith and we're just trusting God you're going to lead us. We're moving forward. Uh, did we know where the 30000 was going to come from? No. Did we know who the 30000 was going to come from? Yes. All right. That's all I knew. And I can't tell you all of the amazing ways that the Lord showed himself so faithful. There was one particular time, I remember it so vividly, we were down here at the subway on Webster, it was Wednesday night before the service, and a young adult, a, a gal in our church, she was younger than Mary and I, um, she's like, hey, let's, let's go out to Subway, and we, we ate Subway, it was great, and uh, it's not about Subway, okay, I'm moving on, and um, she was just asking, she's like, hey, tell me more, tell me more about, about this, and unbeknownst to us, the Lord had already put on her heart, um, she, she gave us a check for like $3,000. And she was like 19 years old or something like that. We were blown away, one, humbled. We didn't ask for money. The Lord just showed himself strong. A couple days later, I kid you not, we get a knock on the door. And we open the door and this couple, they just hand us a card and they literally just walked away. And so I closed the door, opened the card. There was a check for $1,000. And what I, what I tell you that, uh, for, 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 for a very important reason, it was very clear, the Lord made it very clear to us from day one that he was going to be our provider, that he was going to meet our needs. And sometimes people think that it's people that provide for the ministry. They think that it's people that provide for you and for me. And maybe at first glance, it might look like that. 
It might look like the young adult girl. It might look like that couple giving the check. But let me tell you, it is really God who is the one who provides for our needs. And those are God-given finances, resources that we are all called to just steward for his glory. And so if you take it all the way back, you just, you sit there and you say, thank you, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, you're the one. Not them, not him, not her. You're the one who meets our needs. You're the one who provides for us. And so this collection that Paul is referring to here is a collection that was going to be taken up for the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 1, it says um, in verse 28, one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. In, Acts, or in Romans chapter 15, it says, uh, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And so this was going to uh, help people who were in need, a special offering, if you will, to help those who were struggling. And it's a beautiful picture of just unity in the church, not just the, the small church, like the, the local church, but the global church. And you see that, like if you read the book of Acts, you see just the, the Holy Spirit just, made, just being poured out and everyone's selling everything and everyone's just helping each other out. That was just Holy Spirit unity. I love that. You know, I think of our church back in 2020, for those of you who weren't around, let me fill you, fill you in on just an amazing thing. You know, we didn't know what, was, what COVID was going to do, okay? We didn't know. We, you know you, we heard the same reports you heard. Two million people were going to die, and, and we're like, oh my gosh, this is really, really serious. And, but you know, what we found out is that the world still freaked out, right? The world freaked out. We witnessed that. People were out of work, but mortgages still had to be paid, And let me tell you, this was a beautiful time for our church because we mentioned at one time from the stage that we were going to set up a COVID relief fund for those in our church. And we didn't know. Again, we didn't know how many people were going to be out of work, how many people would lose their jobs and all of that, what the the, the needs were going to be. But we just said, hey, we have a fund. If you want to give to it, let, let the Lord lead you. Listen, in the early days of 2020, we had more money rolling into that account than we had going out. Like we couldn't give it away fast enough. That was the testimony of this church. And by God's grace and through his provision, we were able to help medical bills. We were able to pay mortgages and rent payments and utilities and other expenses in that time of uncertainty. Isn't that amazing? That is the church. That is Jesus providing through his church. And that was just COVID. You know, I think of our church alone, through God's provision, we're able to financially support almost 30 global missionaries and local ministries every single month. That's incredible. We're able, and that's just outside of our, the walls of our church. And then in addition to that, we're able to support widows and orphan ministries, And all of the amazing ministries that take place in this building with our youth ministries and our 
men's and women's ministries. It's amazing. All of the amazing ministry that happens here is because of the faithful support that God gives through his people. And these are important things. They're good things. You know, I think of even in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And in that chapter, Paul had just um, wrote to Timothy to instruct him about, hey, you need to support financially widows and orphans and giving to the poor. And then he talks about supporting those who are elders and pastors, supporting those who are giving to the preaching and teaching. And he says, even give them double honor to take care of those. In other words, to take care of those who are serving the Lord with their lives. You know, because if you think about it, there are spiritual attacks, and maybe you don't know about this. Let me fill you in. There are spiritual attacks, heavy attacks on church leaders. There are, there are attacks, intense attacks on families of church leaders, attacks on health. You know, I recently uh, was reading a book by Jim Cimbala where he shared some statistics in it, and he said that 1,500 pastors are leaving the ministry every month. 1,500. Did you know that in COVID, in the year 2020, more than 4,000 churches closed in America alone? 4,000. And over that same time, over 20,000 pastors left the ministry, and 50% of current pastors say they would leave the ministry if they had another way of making a living. Because the pressure and the loneliness and the attacks are so strong. And so you understand, again, with the stresses and the pressures and the attacks, Paul says, for those who are faithfully serving in this way, a double honor would be bestowed upon them. And so what Paul is saying, again, is that when we are helping those who have a need, this is a good thing. And it's worship. It's worship unto the Lord. I've, you know, when we think of worship, we think of singing songs, we think of music, and, and it is. But giving is also worship. You know, I think of King David, a man after God's own heart. They're, they're bringing resources to build the temple there. In First Chronicles 29, he says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? He says this, for all things come from you and from your hand we have given you. And that's exactly what biblical giving is. It's acknowledging that everything, church, that you and I have is ultimately the Lord's. It's all his. And it's our job to steward his resources to the glory of God and to bless those around us. Now, when Paul says in verse 1 concerning this collection, the Greek word for collection is legea, and it refers to an extra collection. This is an over and beyond their normal giving. And again, to use that same analogy as I used before with COVID in our church, this is exactly what was naturally happening here at Calvary. People were giving over. They weren't taking like their tithe money, their offering money, and saying, oh, put that in the relief fund. No, they were like, in addition, we just want to give as God has been so gracious to us. And that's what's happening here. This was in addition and Paul says, you're not the only church being instructed in this. He says, the churches in Galatia were exhorted in the same way. And Paul continues on in verse 2. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save 
as he may prosper so that one no, so that no collections be made when I come. So he says when you gather, first day of the week, let each of you put aside and save. He says each one. It means it's all inclusive. We're all stewards of God's gift. We all will give an account of how we handled his finances. He says each one, again, speaking of each person should personally determine in their heart to do this. There's no set amount. There's no, um, you're not under compulsion here. However, Paul does have a, a clear expectation that all of the saints should participate in giving. You know, some people think that they don't really have anything to contribute that is of significance. Or maybe they think they don't have much to give, so they don't give at all. But Paul here, I want you to note, encouraged every believer to plan out how they were going to give to the Lord to support the ministry that was taking place. And Paul says, put aside and save as he may prosper. And he's simply just referring to as the Lord prospers you, give accordingly. If the, if the Lord blesses you with $10, give one. Great. If the Lord blesses you with $100,000, give in proportion to how the Lord has prospered you. And he's instructing the church to be prepared, to be intentional about this, to be prayerful about this, but to be prepared in advance. Look at verse three. He says, when I arrive... Whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. So here Paul is just instructing, wisely instructing the Corinthian church to find a man of good reputation. Somebody that was trustworthy to handle whatever collection, the, whatever collection that was, that was, that was collected, they would, they would take it, they would, they would take it and carry it on to Jerusalem. And they said, and Paul's just like, hey, find someone that you trust and send them there with it. So he arrives safely. And this word gift is charis, which means grace. It's an act of graciousness. This is something that they are freely giving They've been so freely given so much by the Lord. And so this gracious thing that they did was just, yeah, just it was an act of grace to give to those in need. No one's under compulsion, but people are just filled up by the Lord and they want to be a blessing. So the collection of the saints. And then the second point is that, uh, that I have is if the Lord permits. And here we're going to see Paul lay out his itinerary and it's all built, I love this, because it's all built on the contingency of if the Lord wills it to be so. You know, that's a good model for life because so often things don't turn out the way, you know, in our lives, the way that we plan them to turn out, right? Listen, when you come across that time and that season in your life where you're like, this is not going according to my plan, listen, defer to the Lord's sovereignty in your life. It's the best thing that we can do. Oftentimes, we don't know the things that God knows, but God does, and he knows all things. He knows what's ahead in our lives, and so I defer to the wisdom. We defer to the wisdom of God, to his sovereignty, and we say, this, is, this should be the, the, our heart's cry. is like, Lord, this is the direction that I feel like I am to go in in life. This is what I'm sensing from you, but Lord, 
if you have something completely different from me, then so be it. I want your will, not my will. And Paul says in verse five, here we go. He says, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. For I am going through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. So here's the situation. Paul is in Ephesus, right? When he's writing this, they're in Corinth. It's roughly 250 miles, give or take some, apart. It's a long way. Corinth is in the southern part of Greece. Macedonia is in the northern part of Greece, in the region of Macedonia, where Philippi, Thessalonica are. And so Paul wants to go and he wants to visit some of these other churches that he's planted. And so he's saying, he's like, all right, I want to go through Macedonia. I want to get to you. I'm going to go through Macedonia. He says, but I don't want to just pop on by. Like, I don't want to just come in and leave real quick. I, don't, I, want, to, I want to spend some good quality time with you, Corinth. He's like, I might even want to spend a winter with you. And so he's essentially here, he's laying out his travel plans, his itinerary. He's my kind of guy. You know, for me, one of the best parts of planning a road trip or vacation is the planning. Like, I love that. Like, that's my wife. Like, I'm like, by the hour maybe, you know, give or take some, not rigid, but I just love the planning of it. I'm like, and we're going to go here, we're going to stop here, we're going to, you know, at this, <laughs> 1,800 hours, we're going to, you know, or whatever, you know. <laughs> but I want you to notice this about Paul, that although Paul maybe had his plans, although his itinerary was kind of detailed, organized, lined up, he always left room for the Lord to interfere with his plans, always. And maybe it's just for me, but I think, I know for me, I can do a better job at this personally. And I think us as a church, I think there's some of us today that can do a better job at this. That when we plan something in our lives, that we leave room and say, Lord, if you want to change anything, I give you control. Then so be it. You see, oftentimes people get in the way of our plans and we don't like it. You're obstructing my path. Like you're getting in my way. Like I have a plan and you're ruining it. And we get upset when this happens. But listen, have you ever thought that the Lord knows something that we don't know? And that we should allow him to lead us in his timing? I think of Proverbs 16, 9, the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Let me ask you this morning, how is the Lord leading you and guiding you in ways that you never thought you would be going in? How has the Lord led you? I know that is for me where oftentimes I plan something and I feel like, okay, I know exactly how this is going to look. I know exactly how this is going to go down. And then the Lord just completely changes it all. And my type A personality does not like that. But you know what? Listen. His track record is perfect. Every adjustment that he has ever made to my schedule, sometimes I fight him if I'm honest. Sometimes I'm like, oh Lord, but I need to do this. But every adjustment that he has made to my schedule or my plan has always been for my good. Too many times I believe that we are trapped in our own plans for our own lives and we think that God somehow made a mistake with us. And listen, personally, I can tell you that there have been numerous things in my life that I did not understand. Quite honestly, if I'm just real with you this morning, pastor, no pastor, there have been times in my life over the years that I've questioned the Lord. 
Lord, why did this happen? Lord, why did you allow this to go down in my life? Lord, what are you doing? Lord, this is too hard for me. Like, what? Why? Whatever it is. But I can also tell you that in spite of all of the ups and the downs, that the Lord has a perfect track record. He is faithful. Listen, saying, if the Lord permits, believing if the Lord permits, applying if the Lord permits to your life is the best thing that you and I could ever do. Just this last week, I sat in my office and got to swap stories with a sweet gal in our church. And she shared most of her story with me. I got to share most of my, my life story. And we both walked away with saying that we are so grateful for the many times that God has said no to us in our lives. <laughs> we didn't like it in the moment. What do you mean no? <laughs> like, you know, no, God says no. Oh, but you look back over the years, you look back years later, you're like, thank you, thank you, thank you for saying no to me. Not answering that prayer the way I was wanting. You know, one of the Bible passages that I've often held on to is that famous passage in Isaiah 55 where it says, that my, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts from your thoughts. So that's why we say, Lord, if it's your will, this is what we want. Lord, if it's not your will, have your way and change it. Lord, this is something that I'm desiring. But Lord, if this is not of you, would, would you remove the desire from my life? And maybe, Lord, would you help me desire something that is from you? Like replace the desire. Give me your desires. And guess what? He will. He will. Look at verse nine. He says, for a wide door of effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Now, I don't know about you, but I love open doors. <laughs> like I love it when God is just revealing himself. He is opening doors. He is pouring out blessing. Uh, you know, anytime that the Lord wants to bless me, I will never complain. But have you ever noticed that when the Lord starts to do a work in your life and open doors, there's always backlash from the enemy. There's always this, this hindrance that is in front of you, something in your path meant to trip you up, to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. And this is what Paul is saying here in verse nine. He says, the Lord, the Lord has opened a wide door for effective ministry, but there's many adversaries trying to stop me from doing what God has called me to do. He says, many adversaries, many enemies. That word refers to a person who lies in complete opposition to you. And even though nothing can hinder the, the plan of God for your life, we know that Satan will try to distract us and he will try to rip us off and push us off course. Listen, this is for each and every one of us this morning. This is not just for pastors. This is for you. God is wanting to open effective doors of ministry in your life. But guess what? It might come at a price. There might be the enemy waiting on the other side of that door, trying to rip you off. And listen, this might be a word for you or someone here. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's not of the Lord. Just because there are obstacles in your way, it doesn't mean that the Lord is not in it. 
You know, so often at the slightest of struggles, the slightest of pushback, so many of us, we just throw in the towel and say, I guess it wasn't the Lord. Guess what? Maybe the Lord is wanting to do a deeper work in you. Maybe the Lord is wanting to get you on your knees to seek him in fervent prayer. And the assumption, though, this is the scary assumption, if, if that's us, is that we think that, okay, if I was in the will of God, then it's going to be easy. If I was in the will of God, there wouldn't be any resistance. Everything would be comfortable, and I wouldn't struggle. And listen, that is wrong. Just because you might encounter hardship doesn't mean that you're in the will of God. Listen, if the Lord opens doors for you, let me rephrase that. When the Lord opens doors for you in your life to to serve him, no man will be able to close those doors. And our job, church, is just to simply be obedient to walk through them. Listen, this might be another word for you. You don't have to open your own doors. The Lord will open the doors. And maybe, and maybe that is a word for you. Maybe you're trying to open the, the door, maybe create something, make something happen in your flesh. Listen, rest in the Lord. The Lord will open the door for ministry for you. The Lord will do it. You just, when he does it, you just be faithful to walk through them and be faithful to the calling that he has on your life. So when you encounter that opposition, that's a huge thumbs up. <laughs> that means you're doing something right. That means you're in opposition to the kingdom of darkness and you're a threat to Satan. Look at verse 10, it says, now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid for he is doing the Lord's work. I love that, how cool of a reputation, by the way, that Paul is saying about you, like Timothy. He's like, man, Timothy's doing the work of the Lord. Side note, let that be our testimony, right? At the end of our lives, Hey, we're doing the work of the Lord. Keep it, let's keep going. All right. He says, so let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me for I expect him with the brethren. So this is Timothy. We know Timothy. We love Timothy. <laughs> this is Paul's son in the faith. Paul wrote two letters to Timothy. Paul or Timothy served alongside Paul various capacities. And you see, some of the Corinthian believers, we know through this book, they resisted Paul's leadership in the church. They didn't want his spiritual authority, right? They was like, I, I don't, we want Apollos and we want other people, but not you. And so he didn't want them, when Timothy stopped by, he didn't want this church to treat Timothy the way that they had treated him. If you remember, Paul wrote to Timothy, and we'll get to this verse in just a second, you know, let no one despise your youth. Timothy was a young guy. He was a younger man. And let me ask you, have you ever had a meeting, like lined up with someone that you were really nervous about? Like you're just like, oh man, I have to have this conversation and like, I don't want to have this conversation. Why? Because you know it's going to be difficult. You know, you have to say hard things or hear hard things. And Paul didn't want that to be the case for Timothy going to Corinth. Timothy was passing through. He's going to stop by Corinth on his way to see Paul. And he's like, guys, don't give him a hard time. He's a young man, but he's doing the work of the Lord. He's serving the Lord with his life. So show him respect. Don't despise him. He says, send him out in peace on his journey because I'm waiting for him. As I referenced just a second ago, 1 Timothy 4.12, this is Paul exhorting young Timothy. He says, let no one look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself, Timothy, as an example to those who believe. 
He's saying, Timothy, be an example to them regardless of your young age. In Corinth, don't disrespect Timothy because of his young age. Love him, treat him well. Verse 12, but concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. He's bringing up Apollos here. Again, it seems likely that, the, that Paul is addressing a question that the Corinthians asked about Apollos. Maybe they're like, hey, could you send him, Paul? Like, what's Paul, Apollos doing? Like, does he have any free time? And Paul's like, hey, I've encouraged him to come. He can't come. He's his own man. I'm not his dictator, right? He has to hear from the Lord in his life. But he says it's not his desire to come right now. Verse 13, he says, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. What a great reminder. He's getting ready to close, you know, this, this letter to them. He's reminding them, be on guard, Corinth. You've let your guard down. You've allowed sin to creep into to the church and into your life. Be on guard. Watch yourself. Stand your ground upon the word of God. He says, act like men. And this phrase, act like men, is found nowhere else in the New Testament. Believe me, I did a search. It's only found right here in verse, um, in chapter 16, and it literally means, and maybe your translation says it, be brave. Corinth, be brave. Oh, the world does not want you to be strong, Corinth. The world, the culture wants you to cave in and compromise, Corinth. Be strong, be brave. Adam Clark in his commentary said this, the terms in this verse are all military, Watch ye, watch, and be continually on your guard, lest you be surprised by your enemies. Stand fast in the faith. Keep in your ranks. Do not be disorderly. Be determined to keep your ranks unbroken. Keep close together. Quit yourselves like men. When you are attacked, do not flinch. Maintain your ground. Resist. Press forward. Strike home. Keep compact. Conquer. Be strong. If one company or division be opposed by too great a force of the enemy, strengthen that division and maintain your position. Summon up all your courage, sustain each other. Fear not, for fear will innervate you. That's a powerful thing. That's a powerful word for us as believers. Stand strong. Be on the alert. Stand fast in the faith. Not your faith. Our faith will go up and down. Stand firm. Stand fast in the faith. Act like men. And all of this was, as he says in verse 14, he says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Paul doesn't downplay the need for the church to be strong or be brave, or to stand in the faith, to be on the alert. Listen, we must heed that warning ourselves and that challenge ourselves. Calvary, it is our day, it is our time to be strong, to be filled with courage, to stand firm in the faith. But he says, let all that you do be done in love. Corinth, don't lose your love. Don't lose your love. Some of you, you might be standing strong. <laughs> you might be withstanding the enemy's attack on your life, but have you lost your love? Let all that you do be done in love. I think of Jesus. You know, Jesus wrote some letters to some churches in Revelation. 
And in Revelation 2, we, we get his letter to the church in Ephesus. And this is Jesus to them. He says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they're not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. This church did a lot of things right. They had good doctrine. They stood strong. They didn't tolerate evil men. They endured in the midst of persecution, but they lost love. In Corinth, Paul is saying, let all that you do be done in love. Calvary, let all that you do. As we withstand the, the trials of this life, as we withstand the evil one in this very evil age, don't lose love. Love for the Lord and love for one another. Verse 15, now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus and that they were the first fruits of Achaia and, they, and that they have devoted themselves from ministry to the saints. That word first fruits simply means that they were the first people to get saved, to come to know Jesus in that region. Verse 16, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who, who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, he says, acknowledge such men. And so here Paul is just exhorting this church to recognize these men. He says, Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus, these guys are spiritual leaders among you. He says, recognize them, acknowledge them. And I love what he says about them. He says, for they have, in verse 18, they have refreshed my spirit and yours. What a great testimony. What a great thing to be said about you. You know, the last thing that I want someone to say about me is like, man, Ryan drained me. <laughs> like Ryan, Ryan just, man, he is exhausting to be around. He burned me out. But Paul says about these guys, he says, they refreshed my spirit. And yours. Isn't that a great testimony? I think of Paul's words to Philemon, that little brief letter. And the thing that always sticks out to me every time I read this is in Philemon 1 7, he says, For I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. What a great testimony of the Lord just working in your life. Man, have you guys been around people that have just brought refreshment to you? You just, when you're with them, you just feel built up and encouraged in the Lord. What a great testimony. And now Paul, he closes out this letter. Look at verse 19. He says, the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca, or Priscilla, greet you heartily in the Lord. And with the church that is in their house, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. And so here he closes this letter with a reminder, once again, that salvation is offered in Jesus Christ alone. He, he says, if anyone does not love the Lord, and is it anyone who's not following Jesus, they've not committed their life to him, he says they are to be a curse. In other words, if anyone rejects the offer of forgiveness of sins, to reject the offer of newness of life. He says, then let them get what is owed to them. 
If you say, well, you know, I don't believe in Jesus, I reject Jesus, then the inevitability of that decision is that you will be cursed in your sin. Because listen, there is only one way for you to be forgiven of your sin, is that, and that is through placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so the reason this verse is so significant is due to the fact that Jesus himself died on the cross for the sins of the world. And when he says here that if anyone who does not love the Lord is to be accursed, it means that if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will get what is owed to you. Think of Paul's words in Galatians 3. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So on the cross, Jesus, we know it was crucified for us. And listen, if you want to reject that um, offer of forgiveness, if you want to reject that offer of grace, then listen, the curse remains on you. The penalty of sin and death remains on your shoulders. And that's why Jesus came, so that we would have that removed. And so if you don't know Jesus personally today as your Lord and Savior, you can come to know him by simply repenting of your sin, looking to the Savior, acknowledging your need for a Savior, and turning to him, and you will experience the forgiveness of sins. And for those of us that have that saving knowledge of Jesus, he says here, he says, Maranatha. And that means, oh Lord, come. Because listen, when you've, there's no fear in death when you know Jesus, as we said last week. The afterlife for those of us who know Jesus and are secure in Jesus, it's peaceful. 2 Corinthians 4.8, it says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who loved his appearing. The reality is, is that when we commit our lives to following Jesus, walking with Jesus, we are filled with great anticipation of his return. And Paul says, we will love his appearing and we will say with all of the saints around us, Maranatha, we're not fearing this. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we look forward to that day, amen? amen. And so Paul concludes and he signs off in verse 23 and 24. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen. Amen. And that concludes our study in 1 Corinthians. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.